0: philippians 3 chapter 3 1 to 11 and if you do have this book the bible one it's on page 817 i might have a go on this chair i want to give it a go (laughs) if you like mikey um we read the bible at providence just knowing it's god's word and we can go to the bible to get courage when we need courage, we can go to the Bible to get refining of our mind, if we need to renew our mind. We can go to the Bible for many things, but we do know that it's God's word. And so just join with me as we um, reread Philippians. "Further, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you, Watch out for, the do- for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, it is we who serve God by spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and who put com- no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flinch- flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and the participation of his sufferings because becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And that is the word of God. We're going to get into chapter 3 this
1: week uh, as Nick read for us. Uh, So let's pray and let's get into it. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you that you speak to us through it. And so we do pray today, Lord, as we hear it, that your spirit will convict our hearts, that you will move us and you will empower us to consider what it looks like to be uh, someone who has confidence in the gospel, someone who finds the confidence only in the gospel and not in our trophies, not in our uh, rewards, not in anything else, but in Jesus, his death and his resurrection alone, may we be able to, may may you move our hearts so we can share the same words as Paul and see that uh, there is power in the gospel, in his death and resurrection. We do pray for that today, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I came across a story this week of uh, a female gymnast, American female gymnast known as Shawn Johnson. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She competed in the Olympics back in Beijing 2008. Uh, and it was really interesting, it's on YouTube, you can, you can watch it, but she shared about how at the age of 16, uh, she'd worked so hard to get where she was. She was ranked number one in the world uh, for gymnastics at that age. And so she got to go to the Olympics in Beijing, and she was uh, expected by everyone to take home the gold medal. right? Uh, she was in, in four competitions and she was expected to take home gold in all of them. So she put in 200%, she put in everything she had into her routine at the Olympics. Uh, she felt she uh, nailed it too. She felt so light, she felt on top of the world, she, she nailed every move she set out to do. She got a standing ovation, over 50,000 people in the stadium. Yet even though she gave everything she had, she ended up with the silver at that performance. She felt, sh- she felt so crushed by it. Uh, she shares in her story that she got up on the podium and the person who handed her the silver medal literally said to her, I'm sorry. And that just affirmed how she was feeling that she failed, that she didn't get the goal that she set out to do. She, she got three silvers in the end and one gold medal but the feeling of that first silver medal just crushed her, it lingered, she felt inadequate, she felt like she wasn't good enough, she felt like a failure. She returned back to the US afterwards and every person she'd run into uh, her family and friends, that would congratulate her but they'd also you know, critique her performance a little bit because she was under the spotlight, she was on the world stage. And I was listening to her story and it it just made me feel a bit sad. It made me feel a bit sad to hear how crushing that experience was. You spend all your life working towards something, a goal perhaps, you know, wanting to get that trophy, and to feel like you didn't make it, to feel like a failure. Man, I can't imagine what it's like to be on the global stage, but I do know the feeling of feeling like a failure. I feel uh, inadequate sometimes. We all have that sense, don't we, at points in life, We know what is that experience of striving to achieve, but feeling like enough is never actually enough. We put all our confidence in our medals, in our achievements. We make our career or our our university results or our popularity, our health even, our abilities. But when it comes to failure, we don't know how to handle it. We feel the crushing weight of it, and it hurts, doesn't it? It makes me wonder, what am I or or what are we here today? What are we putting our confidence in? The trophies in life, the achievements, the very things we treasure, the, the things we put our confidence in, will they determine your greatness? Will they be able to save us from that crushing weight of inadequacy or when failure comes our way, will our trophies save us? You know, When we come to Paul, he writes here in Philippians for us, to the Philippian church, uh, about God and how he actually wants none of that for us. Instead, he wants to see that greatness isn't going to be in our trophies. It's going to be in the glory of Jesus. He's so much more worth treasuring than our cabinet of trophies, right? And so here in Philippians 3, uh, follow along with me if you have your Bibles with you. You can open up back to Philippians 3 and we can read this together. I'm just going to read verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. If you've been following along in Philippians, you might have noted down that, that Paul has said rejoice so many times, hasn't he? He has so much joy in the gospel. You know, We heard earlier that yeah, he was in jail, he's in prison, and he might be facing death row, execution. Yet he keeps saying, let's rejoice. Not rejoice in our circumstances, rejoice in God, rejoice in Jesus, rejoice in the Lord, in the gospel. You know, uh, we always tell stories, don't we, um, to, to know... Uh, Stories from our childhood so we get to know each other better. Uh, we read accounts in history. We, we're taught history from a young age at school. It's usually a required requirement, right, in schools to learn history. Yep, Grace is nodding. You know, we, we have to learn history because why is that? Could you get through life without knowing history? You could probably. No. But, you know, I think you have to learn history. Why? Because we want to know our context, don't we? We want to know why we're here today. We want to know why the world is the way it is. Often uh, in history, we, we celebrate things that have happened, don't we? And that's why there are public holidays today that we celebrate. Like, well, I know in the US, they celebrate Independence Day, you know, or they ce- we celebrate Christmas, or we celebrate, you know, there are things that have happened in history that we celebrate today. And so what Paul is doing is that, look, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to repeat this to you. It's actually no trouble to me, and it's actually good for you to hear it. We need to keep repeating the good news, don't we? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the God who has shown love to you in Jesus. Rejoice in that good news. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. And he models that for us throughout this letter. Uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he rejoices in his sufferings. Chapter 2, verse 17, he rejoices again. Regardless of his circumstances, he rejoices. Later on in chapter 4, he'll say it again. Let's rejoice. Even though there's disunity in the church, let's be unified and keep rejoicing in the Lord. He wants the church to really have that, that that mindset, find joy in the Lord, regardless of our circumstances. He wants to that ingrain, ingrain that into your heart. Keep finding uh, and standing firm in that joy. Don't forget this truth. Don't forget it at times when you feel like your life is straying away from Jesus. Don't forget it at times when you face obstacles in your life that stop you from loving Jesus. Don't forget at times when you face hardship and, and haters and persecution and tears. Don't forget our times when there are other good things that might take you away. Rejoice in the Lord. We need it to be repeated to us. I'll let you in a little bit into my marriage with Heidi. She always comes to me. She says, why do you love me? And, and, and for me, I'm like, I married you, didn't I? Like, isn't that enough? Like, why do I need to keep telling you why I love you? You know, we're, we're married eight years now, and she keeps asking me this. And I'm like, why do you keep asking me this? And she ne- and she needs to keep hearing it, and I need to keep repeating it. And we need to keep doing that, don't we? To, as husbands and wives, as partners, as, as children, to our parents, as parents, to our children, we need to keep telling our children that we love them. Why? Because sometimes it's easy to forget. Sometimes it's easy to see our actions instead, and that, and that we forget that people actually love us. You know many of us, sometimes we struggle with loneliness. We forget that there are people that love us, because we often don't hear it. Can I encourage you guys to tell each other that you love? you love each other, like do that more because that's good news and people need to hear that but even more importantly share with each other and encourage them to rejoice in the Lord remind each other about the beauty of the gospel, that God loves them that Jesus loves them that Jesus laid aside his rights as we heard in Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2 he laid aside his rights, he came to serve and die on a cross for our sins that's worth rejoicing over I was going to say Ephesians 2 that we heard earlier for is by grace we've been saved. You know, Jesus loves us enough to die for us, to die for our sin. Doesn't that change the way we see life? When we have that rock-solid joy, that, that outlook on life, we begin seeing life completely different. It's a life worthy of the gospel. Paul needs to repeat this, to safeguard them, to protect them, from not messing up the gospel message? Because what do we read next from verse 2? He says this, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He knows that it's so easy to mess up the gospel, the good news that we've heard. There are people out there who will mess it up. And so he's speaking about that here. In the Philippian church, let me give you some context. The Philippian church were made up of different people from different backgrounds. So There were some that were Jewish Christians. They became Christians as Jewish people. There were some who were Gentile Christians. They weren't Jewish before. They became Christians. They became uh, followers of Jesus. And so in this church, there were a mix, and the Jewish Christians would, in this circumstance at least, uh, they would believe that circumcision would still would help uh, with your salvation. It would be of much value. It's, it was a ritual, right? You guys all know what circumcision I don't need to explain what that is, right? But this is the idea the mutilator of the flesh. That's what they're talking about, that snip-snip. And so, you know, they're saying you can be Jewish first. You need to be Jewish first before you can be a Christian. That's what they're actually saying. Right? That foreskin essentially becomes your first trophy to God. Look at my, fir- look at my trophy, God. I've been circumcised. So he's talking about that Jewish ritual that's given to the Israelites. Uh, you can read about that back in Genesis 17. That's where the whole idea of circumcision comes into the Bible. But he says here, these dogs, he calls them dogs in a bad way, not in a good way. Hey, you know, what's up, dog? It's not that. It's a bad way. Right? These dogs have made it a ceremonial law that they have to do to allow God to think you're accepted, to find acceptance in God. right? And it, I mean, they've twisted the whole message of what circumcision is. Originally, back in Genesis, that circumcision was a, was a gift. It was a gift from God uh, to make them his people. Israel became the people of God through that act, that ritual. In many ways, you know, I always like to compare you know, things like circumcision or baptism even. It's that symbol of like a wedding ring. You, you join into a covenant with God and there's a, uh, there's a, a physical thing, like, like a wedding ring in a marriage, that symbolizes that covenant that you have. God gave circumcision as a gift, a symbol, to remember the goodness of who he is to his people. And so we've got to understand that. And it evolved, right? And, and the Jewish people here say, no, you have to go through that now to be God's people. And, but they ignore the, the greater gift that we have in Jesus, the greater gift of Christ. Circumcision uh, was a ceremonial law that was done away with, with Christ who came into the world, Christ who died on the cross for us. You know What the Jewish Christians here are doing then is that they're, they're actually... Uh, well he calls them dogs they're probably dogging God (laughs) disrespecting him Paul calls them that right for a guy who's for the past two chapters uh, has talked about love has talked about humility Paul actually gets pretty rude here doesn't he well not rude but he gets worked up he's on the attack says these dogs these mutilators of the flesh they're dissing God They thought this circumcision was what God wanted them to do, as if it was a good work, a trophy, that they could receive some blessing as a righteousness from God that would make them more holy than others. So they're telling other people to do it as well. There's this workspace righteousness going on here. If you do these good works, you'll be more right with God. But that's not true, is it? We think we can control the outcome of our standing before God by following all these rituals. Get circumcised receive some anointing, say you're Hail Mary three times, whatever religious ritual it might be. But what the Bible is saying is you're missing the picture. If you think those good works will make you more superior or make you more saved, make you more holy before God, there is no Jesus plus circumcision for salvation. There is no badge of pride, there's no physical sign like that that will save you. That becomes a sign of destruction. It doesn't lead you to be in right standing with God. We can't have confidence, he says. We can't boast in the flesh, he says. If you, can think, if you think you can boast in, in your holiness, Paul says, listen to my achievements. Let me boast to you for a second. And so that's all we have, right, in verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons, this is what he says, have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul goes on to say, if I were to put my confidence in the flesh, like if you think circumcision is impressive, wow, check out my resume. Check out how impressive uh, I am. Paul is that straight A student, isn't he? He's, a, he's that perfect son or daughter from an elite family. He studied hard, got good results. Probably, you know, the good obedient boy. He obeys all the laws. Knew his manners at the table, probably. You know, well versed in English literature. Could, probably could speak a range of languages. Musically talented. That all the stuff that you wish your child had, right? The type of son that my parents never got, essentially. And, and, and once he got that position, right, of, of being a, a lawyer, prosecutor, judge, you know, that Pharisee, he says, he did everything in his power to bring that law down on others. He expected everyone to have that standard as well. In a sense, this is Paul's glory list. You know, if you want glory, this is what you've got to do to achieve that. you got to have that. You've got to have all this list of, of good deeds and, and follow the law to achieve, be faultless in it. He, he, this is what he saw as greatness at one point in his life. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews as well. That's, that's talki- he's talking about great, great lineage, right? He was one of God's people. He was known to have pure blood, in a sense, of being one of Israel's people. And it's funny because, uh, you know, we don't even think about that anymore today. No one cares about if you're pure blood pedigree or something. I, if, you guys know Andy Lestrel here? Have you ever noticed his last name is Lestrel? It's because he's got French in him. And he's apparently one-eighth Chinese as well. I don't know if you believe that. I don't believe that. But, I mean, Andy's a mixed bag of goodies, isn't he? But Paul here, no, nah, Paul would be shaking his head on that. Paul's purebred pedigree. That's a badge of honour back then, right? To be in a Hebrew of Hebrews, in the line of Benjamin. Paul became a Christian, and instead, he shifts everything, doesn't he? At one point, this is what he treasured in, but now he's treasured his treasure. He's found worth in something even greater. What has he found his treasure in? It's in Christ. Once his confidence was in, his, in the flesh and what he could accomplish in being good, he once he found his salvation being the best, obedient, law-abiding guy he could be, but realized soon enough that wasn't salvation at all. I mean, if we approach this life with that, that moralism, that legalism, then we'll find sure enough that we're never going to actually ever be good enough. We're never going to be perfect. I mean, Paul, he was at the to- top of the class. There's nothing at the top, though, worth boasting about, he says. You see, when he comes before Christ, he realizes everything he has is worthless. It's really, uh, it really echoes what Jesus says in one of the parables. Uh, if you know the one about far- the Pharisee and the tax collector, I'm going to read it to you. It's in Luke chapter 18, and it says this. Uh, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I got. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, made right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Aren't we often like the religious man, though? Aren't we often the one who keeps a record of all the good things we've done? We come before God and we say, God, look at all the things I've done. I give a tenth of everything I have to church. I help, that, uh, I help the needy around the world. I, help, I stand up for social justice. I give food to the homeless. Look at me. Look at how good I am. And, and we, we take that mental note and we bring it before God and we say, I deserve your salvation. We think all these good things just, just cancels all the other things in life that weren't so good we tell ourselves these good works outweigh the times we've rebelled or sinned against God or done wrong against others. And we get on that high horse of ours, don't we? We think all our trophies, our list of good works, in some way we can impress God with them. Yet forget how depraved we truly are. We forget how the sin in the depths of our hearts and and how we often uh, put ourselves on the throne instead of God. Yeah, we want to be good people. And I'm glad that that's something you want to be. But who are we giving glory to? to ourselves? Will we glory in our own works? You know, in that story, that the parable that Jesus told, the Pharisee he was at the peak of his game. the peak of glory, according to the standards of the world. Paul was too, but they were proud. They stood before God and essentially were saying, "God, I deserve to be loved." I deserve to be loved because I'm such a good person. I deserve the applause, the standing ovation of 50,000 in the stadium. The funny thing about Christianity is it's not about how good you and I are. It's actually about how weak and humble and unable we are, unable to save ourselves. That acknowledgement is really a worship of God. The one who can save us, to come before him and lay all our works before him and say, I surrender these before Jesus to put our faith in him, the one who died at the cross. There's a song we're going to sing later. It's called Rock of Ages. Have You guys, you guys know that old hymn. You know, it, It's called Rock of Ages, and there's a line in it, and it says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. None of our good works can save us. Only the cross can. And That's what we need to cling on to. We need Jesus. We need the cross of Christ that ultimately rescues us from our sinful hearts. And I get it. Sometimes we all do this, don't we? We approach God with that attitude. God, look at my resume. Look at my good works. All the trophies I have displayed. Look at how obedient I am. I was born in a Christian family. I went to a prestigious school. I got a high OP or distinctions throughout uni. My job is highly respectable. I help a lot of people. I give a generous portion of my income. Look at how good I am. And, yeah, they're all fine things. If you've accomplished them, good for you. Pat on the back. But if they're not done out of a heart of humility before God. If they, start, if they aren't seen in the light of the God who has given it to you, not seen through the lens of the gospel which produces a heart of thankfulness, then your good, work, good works are for nothing. Yeah, let's keep reading. Chapter 3, verse 7 it says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider for loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may now know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Did you pick up what what we read there? It was actually something that we read early in the New City Catechism. Faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We're saved by grace, friends. Consider everything else a loss, Paul says. Consider it garbage. Uh, This word here, in the original language, if if the Bible used swear words, it would be a swear word here. (laughs) It's crap. It's poo, essentially excrement, feces, right? All my good works is like that before God. Yeah, do good works. But, you know, if you are only going to do good works without putting God in the picture, God's only going to see them as rubbish, as crap. If you guys know, me and Heidi have a small dog, right? His name's Simba. When he poos, it's these little pebbles that come out, right? It's not like big steamy ones. It's just these little oval-shaped pebbles and when I think about my good works, I think about that. I don't know why. But you know, I always come home, and if he's done it inside the house, oh, I think, oh, Simba's left a present for me, a gift for me. You know, these little pebble, oversized-shaped pebbles of poo. And I think, man, what if that was like my good works? I come before God with these little pebble-shaped poo, and I say, God, look, I've done real good, haven't I? You know, you, aren't you impressed? I've brought them to you. I've done all these good works in my lifetime. You'll accept me, right? And God looks at it and (laughs) go pat on the back maybe, but it's garbage to him. It's crap. And he's and I imagine it to be how how dare you? How dare you disrespect my son who died on the cross for your sin? I don't want your garbage. Leave all that baggage behind. Count it as loss compared to the all-unsurpassing glory of knowing Jesus. What nerve to think that our good works can save us. To glory in our own trophies and not glory in the one who has died on a cross for you. His perfect life that was given for you. His righteousness that has been imputed onto us. The substitutionary death that we heard earlier. The perfect holiness of Jesus that we can have through faith. How dare we, how dare we bring our good works before God and say, this is more impressive. We can take our glory list, our good works, and what we need to do with that is we need to soak it in the blood of Jesus, friends. Do good works, not out of a heart of legalism or comparison, of thinking that we're better than others because yeah we finished a university or we've got this high paying job now because we do stand up for justice but let it be good works that come from a love for jesus not for your reputation not so you can boast on your your instagram not for your salvation let it be driven by the joy you have in jesus see the very things that paul wants value paul counts it as loss and i know some of Some of you guys are, are there any accountants here? We don't have many accountants here. But I did accounting. Well, I did law and I had to do an accounting subject and I nearly failed it. And it was really hard, but at least I know this, that when a company makes a profit, usually you put that in the profit column, right? You don't put it in the loss column. And naturally we would do that with our good works too, yet this is totally turned upside down. We we record it as a loss. When we stand before God, no matter how how many good things you perform, without Jesus, count it as lost, friends. It's in the lost column. Let it go. Jesus is the one who who, who God calls us to treasure in. It isn't Jesus plus your good works equals salvation. It's It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. He's our supreme treasure. See that your righteousness, that your right standing before God comes from that humble faith in him. And receiving Him with thankfulness. Now, don't mishear me, okay? We're called to still do good works. Pursue them not to make ourselves look better, but as an overflow of the thankfulness from a heart that's transformed by Jesus, that knows and treasures Him. Live a life worthy of the gospel from the salvation you have received by grace. Do good works not because you want to boast about how good you are, but because you want to boast about how good God is. God is good. All the time, and all the time, God is good. right? Paul gets the gospel. He knows the risen Lord Jesus is his greatest treasure, worth banking his whole life upon. And what he's doing is echoing again what Jesus says. Like Matthew 13, 44, you might have heard this, before. the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field, in a, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he, he hid it again, and then in his joy sold everything he had, and bought that field, because the gospel is that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he he went away and sold everything he had to buy it. This worth, this 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 life, it it's it, it, find your joy in Jesus, friends. It, the, you, know, when Paul says you know I want to share in his resurrection and power, it's it's knowing that this life is going to be a bumpy road. It's knowing that this life is going to be hard at times, there's going to be struggles, you're going to suffer at times, just like Christ did. But to know Him in His death and His resurrection is to know that there's a greater security, that we will be raised with Him. And to know that uh, even though we're living with these expectations and trying to attain these standards and get all these trophies and accomplish all that, we can have a security because we're loved by God through Jesus. He's the one who gives us a greater freedom. A freedom, not from trying to always be good enough, but one that knows that Jesus is good enough for us. It's exhausting living for good works and asking the question, is this good enough to get into heaven? Is this good enough to please God? Is this good enough for acceptance? I know so many of us who live that life under our parents' rule, thinking, is this good enough to make my parents happy? What if we change the way we saw our security, and was comforted by the gospel knowing that actually God loves us enough to save us and to give us the freedom and security through grace in Christ at the cross. Put our faith in that. Friends, is Jesus your greatest treasure? Have you put your faith in him? Do you find him as your all-satisfying pleasure in knowing him, your ultimate delight and glory? Yeah, you're willing to lose everything, to gain everything in him. All that legalism in our hearts, the need to be recognized, that desire to be a, a good boy or girl, that reputation, all those trophies, they're not going to save you. I know for some here, knowing Jesus doesn't, doesn't sound so convincing. I might have just shared for the last half an hour and you're thinking, oh, I'm still not convinced. He doesn't sound as, as good as reaching the top of my career. He doesn't sound as good as having a ton of wealth. He doesn't sound as good as being the most popular person in the room. Some of us, yeah, we think feeling like a human means we have to achieve, we have to accomplish, we have to make it in life. Some of us here feel that, that being a good person, doing all the right things, spreading as much love as possible, that will save me. Friends, you get to the top of that glory list of yours, you'll find that there's another Everest to climb. Keep climbing and keep climbing, and you'll soon realize that at the top there's nothing actually there except a pat on the back a small sense of accomplishment, but then what? You'll realize it's a false sense of security. But what if you could have that all-satisfying fulfillment that starts and begins now and goes on into eternity, one that shares in the glory of Jesus before the one that really matters, before God? You know, we can have that great reward and salvation through the cross. That gymnast, Sean Johnson, that I mentioned earlier, she went back to practice after the Olympics, after she got silver. She practiced and she trained hard. She struggled through the feelings of failure, of clinical depression even, not feeling like she's good enough. I mean, so sad that a teenager has to go through that much pressure. And she came to the point four years later, right? She was in practice, ready to go to the Olympics again, and she felt God speak to her. That God let her know that she doesn't need to feel the pressure to perform for the world anymore that it's okay to leave all the wins and losses behind and she shares in her testimony that the whole world was lifted off her shoulders at that moment she retired from gymnastics at that time in 2012 just four years after competing in the beijing olympics and she shares that even if she went on to win 12 more gold medals it's not the end or be, you know it's not the end or all or be all she says this she says jesus will always be her greatest reward Friends, are you able to say the same? That Jesus is your greatest reward, your greatest treasure in life? Or are you trying to add more trophies, thinking that you'll find your salvation to them, in them? Do you think God will be more pleased if you added more good works to your list, more pleased than he already is in Jesus? We can come before God and we can say it's in Jesus alone that we're saved. It's in him that we have everything. It really is. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We do thank you that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, that we can come to you and know that we're justified because Christ laid down his life for us, that he died as a substitution for us, that we received his righteousness And he took on our sin. And we pray, Lord, that 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 message of the gospel, his death and his resurrection, will empower us to live a life for you. That it will empower us and and give us hope, courage and hope, regardless of our circumstances that we face in life. It will give us courage and hope uh, to live for you, to, to do good works out of a heart of joy. Help us, Lord, to do that. And may your spirit be with us to continue to fight uh, against sin and to fight uh, for you and fight for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.